Welcome to the Meaningful Mentor Podcast, a podcast where we discuss, encourage and offer suggestions to help you live a more meaningful life despite the barriers of illness, injury or disability. Live the life you want to in a meaningful way. I'm your host, Steph Collinson, an occupational therapist turned business owner. I help businesses with content creation, visibility online and helping them get their message out there to the world. I created a lifestyle that suits me despite my IBS diagnosis and I want to help you do the same. Hi guys and welcome back to the Meaningful Mentor podcast. Today we have another guest with us and her name is Kerry Magnus and she's a holistic psychologist and she helps people who have chronic conditions, mainly women, and she also has been through her own journey of experiencing adrenal fatigue. Um, So I'm glad to kind of have Kerry on the podcast to talk about her journey and experiences and now how she helps people. So I'll just hand it over to Kerry. Hi, Steph. Thanks so much. I was always interested in the body and mind connection. I had wanted to be a doctor and ended up um, actually doing graphic design and in the long run became a psychologist and then did something called body talk which looks at the whole body mind connection and in the process of doing all of that and studying part-time while working and then having a my first child I was diagnosed with adrenal fatigue syndrome in 2012. If I look back I probably have battled with fatigue since being a teenager. I recall going on a camp in grade seven and needing to sleep in the afternoon one day because I just wasn't able to keep up with my friends. And I was, someone took a photo of me sleeping and then shared it around the class later. And it was kind of, it became a bat of a joke. And, and I remember feeling a bit different. And I actually was diagnosed with uh, what you call it, a um, glandular fever. Um, I think there's another word for it that's even better, but yeah, <laughs> glandular fever. And, and that was when I was 13 as well. So it all sort of coincided with, with puberty. And so I think there was probably a, as there is with all of these things, there was a physiological component being hormonal changes, et cetera. But there was very, very definitely a psychological component, mm-hmm. which I'll go into. But basically my journey really started with the diagnosis and 2012, which I was really grateful for because I had seen a doctor and I'd seen a psychologist because I wasn't sure which way to go with this. Mm-hmm. My psychologist had said to me, you're depressed. My doctor had said, you're depressed. <laughs> and I, I said, well, yeah, I'm down. I'm tired. <laughs> okay. I'm tired all the time. So yes, I'm down, but yeah. I'm not depressed. And I mean, and this isn't just depression. It's, it's more. And I, and I knew based on my, you know, cause I'd now studied psychology as well. I started outing myself, especially when my husband said, well, maybe you should just take antidepressants. And I'm certainly not discrediting people's choices for taking antidepressants. And there were times when I actually did try, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't actually the answer in that case. So fortunately for me, my sister's a functional medicine doctor. And so she said, I think I know what's going on. And, you know, well, let me first put it in context. What did it look like for me? My daughter was a very refluxy baby. So she barely slept for longer than 20 minutes at a time. So I decided, okay, well, I must be tired because, you know, I'm not getting enough sleep. But there were other mothers who were having similar problems and they just seemed to be able to function so much better. Mm -hmm. And I just remember like 
it was like being in a fog constantly. And maybe it would clear a little bit in the evenings, but it was just this fog where I couldn't think straight. I could barely manage to plan ahead. So I kind of was just reacting to each moment and I couldn't do much at all. So if I had to plan, if I had to try and go to the shops, it was a massive, massive experience because I knew I was going to be exhausted afterwards, even more so than normal. And so fortunately for me, my husband was extremely supportive. I wasn't very good at asking for support. It was one of the things that I learned to change. And one of the things I've noticed that's very common to many people who do battle with chronic fatigue um, of different kinds. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it, that, that, that was my journey back then. I, I had all these plans to be a, this really amazing mother. You know, I was going to be this earth mama who was, who did conscious parenting and, and I fed her healthy foods and I breastfed, I was going to breastfeed until she was two. And by 13 months, it was clear that I was miserably failing at all of those because I could barely do more than just the absolute basics. And so that was really hard for me because my expectations had been very high. This is another quality that I found is very similar. It's very common in many people with chronic fatigue. I eventually, with my sister giving me that diagnosis, I was told to, you know, eat certain things and not eat other things and try and rest as much as possible, which is very funny to try and do that when you have a daughter that doesn't sleep for longer than 20 minutes at a time. (laughs) Fortunately, what actually happened was because I needed to take supplements, I had to stop breastfeeding when she was um, Mm -hmm. 13 months. And actually, I found that once I I stopped breastfeeding, she started and she stopped teething. Um, She got most of her teeth at that point. She actually started to sleep better. So that coincided with everything. And I actually started to regain a little bit of my old life back and, and immediately started to do what I had always done. Because I figured, well, this was who I was before she was born. So maybe, you know, this must be who I still am, right? And, and I um, tried, you know, got back into exercising, which was, I'd always been, a, I'd always cycled and run and exercised quite a lot. And I tried to take on work, as much work again as possible and well, it was no surprise that I crashed again within, I don't know, I think it was a month. Mm-hmm. And my sister said to me something that I've never forgotten. She said, oh, no, this is actually what happens to most of my patients. So it's like we all think that there's this quick fix and that is going to then be the answer. And then we expect that we can go back to living life the way it always was and it was gonna, it's going to be fine. And actually, it's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. But you'd think that I would have figured it out at that point. But, <laughs> but along the way, my second child was born. I carried on crashing. So I crashed four times in five years. And it was always after a particularly stressful event had happened or after my son was born. Mm-hmm. And it would always happen. So there would have been the stress. And then there was a, per- a period of time where I could then relax and let go. And mm-hmm. that would be when I crashed. And I started to actually notice this pattern in myself so that I could start regulating myself a bit better. So really, I was sort of gaining more awareness into the body-mind connection and my stress levels. But beyond that, I didn't really have much capacity to really explore it from a body-mind perspective. I was still giving my power away to people out there to make it better, which I certainly believe there's a place for that. But we also need to be looking at it from our own, you know, bringing in our own power as well. And so I, I 
actually went to see one of my sister's colleagues because by that point my sister had then had a baby and so she started she took on uh, managing my health with me and I had my body talk colleagues doing some body talk sessions but it was actually only five years later when I had three traumas happen in a row that I and I and I knew I was going to crash so I knew the pattern by then I could feel okay the next time I and as soon as this calms down as soon as things calms down calm down um, there's going to be a crash and so I started to do certain things and started to really just find more balance in my life and I actually ended up having a very very minor crash mm-hmm. and I bounced back pretty quickly so I was like okay I'm getting a handle on this but but I want to have more of a handle on this. I don't want it to happen again. Mm-hmm. And the only way I'm going to do that is, is to, to look at, well, what is it underneath? What is it about me that is making me predisposed to this happening all the time? Because I can't keep depending on the medication and the supplements and the right diet and all of that. And I realized that I had never really felt safe my, my entire life. And in South Africa, there's a very real component to that because there's a lot of crime here. And I also grew up in a homeland during apartheid era where there was a great deal of political violence and unpredictability. So there had been that, but there's also the sense of just not being secure as in, I'm going to be okay. Like, and part of that is I am worthy, I belong, I'm enough. In other words, that I'm worthy, I belong, I'm enough as I am. Mm -hmm. So I had developed a belief that I needed to be a certain way to belong, to be worthy and to be enough. And my parents love me. They definitely love me. There's no doubt about that. And they provided for me um, really, really well. But my parents, like so many others, were not brought up to be able to manage emotions. They were brought up where emotions were frowned upon or suppressed or even punished. And Mm -hmm. so when I had emotions or tried to express my needs or acted out because I was anxious or whatever it might have been, I was shut down or I sent to my room or I was distracted. And so I learned that I must not do those things. Mm -hmm. And I must be this other version of me that seems to be, it seems to then make everything a little bit more peaceful. And it means that they can, they're not going to reject me. And it's not like it's an outright rejection. I think our parents at times um, will just emotionally disconnect if it's too hard for them, if it's triggering something in them that they can't manage. Mm -hmm. And it's not also, it's even, it's not just our caregivers, it's also society. Society doesn't allow us to be sensitive as women to be too loud, to, you know, to be too passionate. These things, we, we, we kind of all given the message that there's a certain way you should be if you want to belong and be good enough. And we very quickly learn to conform because, well, it's, it's so innate to us to need to belong to a tribe. Otherwise, what happens to us? Yeah. And so... I learned that it, I needed to protect and rescue. I needed to keep my parents happy and like take on their emotions for them because they didn't seem to be doing such a good job. <laughs> that if I ex- if I excelled at what I did, then I received praise and it made them happy. And also that if I if I was always in doing mode and getting things done and being super capable, it it relieved them of a burden and it made me feel like I was in control. Now, obviously, at the time, I had no awareness that I was doing these things for any particular yeah. reason. It was the feedback that I implicitly or explicitly got from them. And it was the feeling that it gave me. And so I kind of developed an addiction to becoming someone who did really well at everything and stayed really um, on top of everything and held it all together and didn't show my um, vulnerability or weakness, et cetera. 
And that's also because I obviously observed that in them too. You know, there was also that element of it. Mm-hmm. So, so I had this massive realization. I was like, no wonder I'm so exhausted. I've been using so much energy trying to be this version of myself that I thought it was necessary to be so that I could be enough, so that I could feel safe. And then because as happens and, and it's so beautiful the way it does, I had started attracting a lot of clients who were battling with fatigue themselves. One had chronic fatigue syndrome, one had fibromyalgia, couple who were just saying, I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know what to do, what's wrong with me? And as I like looked at them holistically, I could see that all of us were very similar in that we had this holding tendency to hold everything together, to hold for everyone else, the needing to rescue, protect, to mm-hmm. be capable and responsible, etc. And I also saw that all of them had come from a from a background in which they had been over trauma or just these what I what I what many people call the little t traumas so we always think it has to be something big when it's traumatic but it's anything that makes you feel like your authentic expression could lead to the risk of you being rejected and so in any way in which we felt we had to shut ourselves down it's traumatic so Mm -hmm. if we had been too loud or we were the one who was who always liked to get really curious and make a big mess and then got shouted at and shamed for doing that but consistently, like, let's be honest, as parents, we're always going, there are going to be times where we're going to just not be able to manage because this often makes par- people then think of themselves as poor parents. You're human. Okay. So there are going to be times that you're going to not be able to manage what your child's doing because you're too tired or, or whatever the situation is. But it's when it's a consistent suppression of a child's natural expression of themselves, it can start creating a trauma defense where they then have to adapt themselves to be loved and to be good enough. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that in my clients, many of us have done this. And again, in society also expected it to a large degree. And this especially goes for, for people of color for and for women of color, because there, there's even more of a tendency to suppress the self and to try and adapt in order to be to not be in danger, essentially, a feeling of not being at risk of rejection or, or threat of anything. And it's so ingrained in, in our society. So... Mm-hmm. So that realization was massive for me because the one thing that it did, which really helped was it made me look at my adrenal fatigue in a very different way, which was, oh, wow, this is giving me an opportunity. It's actually Mm -hmm. giving me a massive opportunity to decide who I really am and how to live my life in a balanced way that's not going to exhaust me all the time. Mm -hmm. And that gave me, it was like it released a huge amount of energy because I had already been using so much energy resisting my state of health mm-hmm. and my experience. And instead I kind of embraced it and flowed with it and allowed it to, to teach me. So that's why with my clients, the first stage I do with all of them is to, is to look at acceptance and what, and what could you be, what could you learn from this? What could it be trying to tell you? Mm-hmm. And then through through the whole process, uh, I started really exploring this. I started exploring the masculine and feminine and how because I was trying to always be in control and capable and keep everything in like in structured and, you know, really, really masculine, which is it's actually the unconscious masculine. So masculine tendencies are in line with structure and logic, linear rationality but it's it's yeah and direction clarity which we need we do need that but when we have that when it's not 
in connection with the feminine, which is our emotions, our intuition, creativity, the unknown, whereas the masculine is the known, then it's not healthy for us. And, and often that's when we strive and push and drive ourselves. And we don't stop and listen. We don't drop into what the emotions are saying. We don't listen to our hearts and our bellies. We just go with our heads. Mm-hmm. So part of what I did was I totally turned my back on the masculine and tried to go all feminine. And then I was like, mm-hmm. no, but hold on. I do need this masculine part of me. It's, and, you know, <laughs> like a friend, yeah, I mean, a friend said to me, she said, but what's so wrong with always, you know, what's so wrong with being good at organizing and planning and being in control and I said no you're 100% right actually and I realized I'd been kind of getting hard on myself being that person and actually it was there was a gift in it too mm-hmm. yeah so it was about finding the balance and that was when I came across the work of Juliet Haynes where she introduces the concept of the conch or that's actually she uses the words the deep masculine and deep feminine and where they're in where it's almost like you're actually led by the feminine, which is interestingly, it's a life force. The feminine is life force. It is your creative force that makes life on earth. And it is the life force that feeds us with vitality. Mm-hmm. So when we shut that off, because it's not acceptable, because being emotional, being sensitive, being passionate is not, ex- and also sensual and sexual is not acceptable then we're shutting off our life force. Mm. But we only can express that when we feel safe. And we only feel safe when we have structure, when we feel that we're being acknowledged and that something is creating a protective space for us. And, And that is where the conscious, more conscious, deep masculine qualities come in, where if we can create a stillness, and it's an emptiness in our bodies and just be with ourselves, connect back to our bodies, then it we can allow that life force to flow again. We can tune into what do I really need right now? Does this feel good for me? And then you'll know that there's a time to push and there's a time to rest. And that if you rest when you meant to rest, you'll actually be able to do so much more in those productive times. Mm-hmm. But instead, we try and do it the masculine way, which is pushing all the time with no breaks. So it's really fascinating. I've learned so much from her and I've actually ended up becoming a facilitator for her process. So I've included it now in the coaching that I do because it has been so, so fundamental to me. And I think the biggest part of it is the feeling of being safe. So it's essentially a sense of spiritually being held at the end of the day. And it doesn't matter what your religion is, it can still fit into this, is the idea that no matter what happens, we are always held and guided if we just tune into that sense of being supported and guided and that intuition and our inner wisdom, which is part of that spiritual guidance that's coming. It's And then we can let go of all the holding and self-reliance. And that is so very, very exhausting. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's my story. And it's it's just been such a gift. It's still unfolding. And I still sometimes go back into my old defaults. And I suspect I will, it will be something I'll, I'll be working with my most of my life. But the changes have been incredible. And I'm actually so, so grateful for the opportunity and how it's also then impacted my work and come into my work that I do. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I can hear how like passionate you are about what you're learning <laughs> as well, being able to help other people. And I really love that. Um, yeah. It's important to highlight, like, I know you were talking about this a little bit earlier that. I think we all try and look for a quick fix and we think like we're always chasing after the next thing if it doesn't work 
all the time and we've become so out of touch with ourselves and you know like trusting ourselves that we're never getting to the root cause we're always just kind of treating the outside like symptoms that we have definitely and that's something that I've definitely learned you know with my own kind of struggle with IBS everybody kind of knows this from listening to the podcast that you know that not just diet's going to work not just kind of managing my stress levels it's a holistic yes definitely yeah so I certainly don't turn my back on and so I actually work very closely with my my sister and her colleagues where it's it is it's all of that but it's also then bringing your own so a lot of us just listen to what the doctors say and we just take what they say Mm -hmm. and it's also like tuning in and saying but does this feel right for me because it's they're giving you a kind of a blank you know it's 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 a blanket approach but it's as tailored as possible to you based on your blood blood works etc but it's still not going to be 100% specific for you Yes. So it is, it's, hard, it's co-creating your healing journey. That's what I like to say. Yeah. Like you can take on like the advice and things. I think it, it all comes down to like knowing yourself and almost like trusting yourself as well that, you know, you have all the kind of answers in within you to yeah. kind of move forward and make the, the right choices for you. And I think that it's, it's hard and it's a, a journey and a process. It, um, it, is. it is. You'll always, you know, keep learning and you will revert back to old ways and things to feel more comfortable because that's what you know (laughs) so yeah change is difficult and moving in a different direction is hard but if you're open to it and you know open to hearing like hearing all kind of possibilities and advice then that's definitely a good good place to start but I know um Kerry you've talked a little bit about this about how you sort of help people now with kind of the knowledge that you've acquired and through your own journey but I'd love to kind of just go go back to that and have you got any like bits of like top maybe like your top three bits of like advice that you give to people who maybe are struggling with adrenal fatigue with their symptoms managing their day-to-day around everything else that they've kind of got to do what would be your kind of top three things to maybe manage it better so firstly would definitely be what I mentioned about the idea of looking at it and saying, could this actually be an opportunity to learn something about myself and my body that will bring in greater health and well-being in the long run? Mm-hmm. Could my body be trying to tell me something? Could it be trying to tell me that something's out of balance? I mean, this is <laughs> like when I do body talk, it's because our bodies talk to us. They talk quietly. And then when we don't listen, they start screaming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then that brings us to our knees you know so it's about kind of changing your relationship to your body because then like I said what happens is it just frees up so much energy that was spent on resisting to rather being able to be with it and and embrace your experience it doesn't mean you have to like it it's just about going okay this is hard but what Mm -hmm. can I learn from this I'm sure most of the listeners will understand, you know, when you look back and you go look at a time that felt so challenging and then you realize, oh, but look what came out of it. When you're in it, it's hard to understand that. But looking back, there's that realization. So number one, I'd say is changing your perspective of the illness as being having be, instead of being at war with your body is to say, could this be a way that my body's trying to give me an opportunity to make a change it's letting me know that there's some kind of imbalance mm-hmm. and then obviously it's it's important to find the right person to start you on that journey when I coach people I say I'm not going to tell you what to do 
but I'm going to lay the foundation for you to figure out what to do. So it's about finding the support to help you to become more in tune with your own needs, with what you can learn from this. And, and so the second part of advice is that it's, I don't believe it's possible to fully heal yourself from a physical illness unless you you are aware of that body mind component where you actually then connect back to your body so so many of us who become chronically ill it's because we've disconnected because it was too painful to be in our bodies Mm -hmm. so that links back to what i was saying about the trauma adaptations even if there were minor traumas where you know we if we're hungry we'll have a hunger pang which tells us we need to feed ourselves If we are afraid, we're going to have a feeling of fear, which is telling us we need to reach out for support. So our emotions speak to us as much as our physical, they speak to us as physical sensations, just like hunger would. Um, But because those physical sensations felt really scary, and then we may have tried to receive support from it either by, you know, crying or screaming or asking even, what often we don't have the way, the, the words when we're little, so it will come out as maybe a temper tantrum or crying or constantly feeling ill and then parents can't tolerate that. So then it's too hard to feel those feelings. Mm-hmm. So then we, we rather just shut them down because we know that they upset other people and that they're not going to get made. So it's easier to not feel them. So we disconnect from the body and then ultimately don't listen to what our body needs. We override it and then become ill. Mm-hmm. So it is vital to connect back to your body So one of the ways to start doing that is to just what I call a body scan where you imagine like almost um, a scanning wand, if you'd like that, like they use in the airports. I don't know if, I mean, I know they use them in South African airports. Yeah, yeah, you like scan from the top of your head all the way down to your feet, but with your awareness. So you pay attention to the top of your head and you just, and at first you might feel absolutely nothing. It might be very, very quiet. Um, foreign to you but just being aware of the top of your head and just holding an awareness of your face and holding awareness of your throat and your neck and going all the way down shoulders arms hands and then your chest I mean there's no right way to do this so you'd scan your body in the way that feels right your chest your back your abdomen your hips all the way down your legs and your feet. And what you may find is that in time, you start to notice, gosh, I'm actually holding so much tension in my neck. I didn't even know I did that. Or gosh, I really, um, what's the word? I'm grinding my teeth or um, my, like from, I know I tend to hold a lot of um, tension in my jaw. And what can happen is that your body sensation can start to be an indication to you that, that, you're, that you're needing to slow down or that you're overwhelmed again. Like for me, I started to realize that I, I'd hold a lot of, it was like a metal band around my upper back mm-hmm. and behind my heart. And, and that for me was a, a sign that my, that my child self was feeling over that. So we tend to spend a lot of our time actually as feeling like the child again. We're in our adult body, but we respond and act like the child. Mm-hmm. And it's because we, we still feel powerless. We, we still feel alone and unsupported. So then knowing that so this would be step number three is connect to that part of you that's feeling that it's just kind of acknowledging it so okay wow I'm feeling this now not judging it not 
needing it to be any different. Just starting off by, I would just put my hand in my heart and go, sure, okay, this is feeling a bit difficult. And as if I'm talking to a child part within me, just go, it's going to be okay. Because it's never going to be the same as when you were a child, when you actually didn't have the words, when you didn't have the um, mental capacity, you didn't have the ability to reach out for support or understand or the resources. You now have that. Your adult self now can go and get help, can say, I need you to help me to figure out what's out of balance in my body. I need you to help me to understand my body, to listen to it better, to give it what it needs. We can do that now. So it's kind of meeting with that part of ourselves and saying, it's going to be okay. Um, I know it's hard, but it's going to be okay. So there's also different ways of connecting to yourself. You can just connect to yourself with your breath, mm-hmm. which is both, firstly, it's breathing in life and life force. And so many of us don't breathe in properly, which is partly why we don't have energy. And it's also that when we breathe slowly and consciously, it's a trigger to the brain that everything is okay because we can only breathe slowly when we are in the rest digest state. So you can almost use that process to then tell your brain, I'm okay, look, I'm breathing slowly. But it brings your attention into your body, it calms you down, and it's meeting yourself. So it's Accepting that your illness is could be a sign for an or an opportunity to make a change for positive. Mm-hmm. It is learning to connect back to your body to feel when you're in that overwhelmed stress state of powerlessness or feeling unsupported. That would normally then make you go into action or do things or that often exhaust you, or that just heightens your, your stress response, which is in itself puts you in a state that is not conducive for healing. Um, And then the third thing is to find ways to then connect to that part of you that is feeling that breathing, hand on your heart, getting support from someone else who can help you to do that. Even grounding is a very powerful one. It's just feeling the earth beneath your feet and knowing that that ground is never going anywhere. Just feeling like you can send a deep root down into the earth and that you're completely grounded and held and solid like then and the earth holds the feminine energy it's it's the mother kind of mother earth energy so I like to always think of it as that she's Mm -hmm. got you like you're going to be okay I know it's difficult but you you're not alone those would be kind of three three aspects I'd share because because in my coaching the phases are actually acceptance then connection and then when we feel safe enough through connection and aware enough through connection then we release and when we released, we make so releasing old belief systems and patterns that create the exhaustion. Then you can create space to receive, which is to receive your intuition, to receive new ways of being, um, and also to meet your own needs. And when we start to meet our own needs, interestingly enough, we find that others start to meet our needs too. Yeah. And then yeah. we move into what's called flow. So it's suddenly we find that when we actually listen to our bodies, everything gets so much easier. <laughs> Yeah, and it's really quite amazing. Yeah, definitely. Now I love that, and I I just love listening to you talk, Carrie. I could sit here all day listening to you talk (laughs) about it because, like, I I just agree with everything that you're saying, and I think that there is a lot of us just kind of suffering in that state of we must be on the go, doing, doing, doing. And I hope this gives you a little bit of insight to kind of maybe take a little bit more of that power back for yourself and Mm. to start to listen to yourself and just accept kind of how you're feeling as well, taking that time out to listen and accept kind of what's going on because we we get so distracted by 
everything else that's going on mm. I hope the advice that Carrie's um, given you all like helps you just kind of reflect on where you are in your journey of um, whatever chronic condition you're experiencing at the moment just to kind of take time to reflect and yeah take on board some of those really great tips and uh, bits of advice but is there anything else Carrie that you'd like to add before we um, wrap up the podcast yeah just I, I always just like to say, just don't give up hope. I know sometimes people have been on this journey for so long and they just think yeah. there's absolutely no hope. But I've, I've worked with so many people now where when you embrace the whole picture and work with the, the body and mind connection, like magic can happen, honestly. And I'm speaking mm-hmm. that from my, my own perspective and from what I've experienced with others. It can, yeah. it can be such a, a beautiful journey, actually. I mean, it's difficult. I'm not going to deny that. It's not as easy as just taking a pill. Mm-hmm. but it can lead to amazing gifts in the process amazing and if people want to come and connect with you Carrie and just kind of learn more about what you do um or want to just reach out to you to ask you any questions where can they find you yeah great um my website is www.kerrymagnus.net and I have a Facebook group um so it's www.facebook.com forward slash groups Mm-hmm. forward slash conscious energy mm-hmm. amazing i will put all those links in the show notes anyway um for people okay. who want to go and Great. Like, click thank and connect you. but thank you so much carrie for being on the podcast and sharing your journey and experiences it's been lovely having you well thanks so much for having me and it's it's wonderful that you have this podcast for others it's so important yeah definitely but thanks for tuning in guys and until next time Thank you so much for listening. I'd love it if you could subscribe, share with others who may find our episodes helpful and leave a comment on my Instagram, which is at VA underscore Steph Solutions to let me know if you listened along and what you found most helpful.